You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name's Chris. His name's Ed. Socks in the basement. 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans, and it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions, named one of the Southtown's best in 2021 by the Daily Southtown. They'll get it again this year, I'm sure of it. Bowing walls, window wells, foundation and crack repair, sump pumps, gutter cleaning, trying to get water through your yard, away from your house, protecting your home, your basement. They are family and veteran owned and operated ever since they started in 2013. And if you call them 24-7 at 708-330-4466, you get money off when you mention Sacks in the Basement. There's a link to them right in the show notes or just check them out at familydry.com and see what a difference a family makes. Do you have confidence anymore? This is a question that came up in a conversation I was having this week about the White Sox. Do you have confidence anymore in the brain trust that's trying to get this team to a championship? Because some questions have popped up over the last week or two where people have said to me, well, I think they're going to do this next, or surely they're going to do this, or when this guy comes back, this is what they'll do with the roster. And I find myself shrugging more and more saying, maybe, because I don't know if they know what the right thing is to do anymore. Am I nuts? Am I overreacting? Because we are getting to the end of May now, and they are still a 500 team. No, I don't think it's an overreaction at all to sit there and say that we can no longer predict or rely on the idea that Rick Hahn is going to go out and fix XYZ problems that we're seeing or that uh, Tony is going to understand that this guy needs to be playing over this guy or you know th- that this was a well-thought-out, well-crafted plan to get them from the point of the rebuild and making the, the young core of players that, that they have in place and augmenting them with, with either free agents or trades or somehow with veteran players or players from other organizations because you were unable to develop that, which is, it happens in every rebuild. And, and that part, I don't have any issues with the fact that we got out of the rebuild, got into, say, 2020, right, which is kind of when the team really came together as, as, a, as a contender and, and didn't have every single position on the field filled with some top-level prospect. That was never going to be the case. But, yeah, at this point, you know, for every – you know, getting Liam Hendricks here and and bringing in the top closer in baseball to anchor the back end of your rotation or getting a guy like Kendall Graveman, who, you know, is this versatile high leverage reliever, uh, or even, you know, to a certain degree, AJ Pollock, who is a, you know, a polished veteran major league outfielder that is not performing up to his abilities right now still, but is, you know, has shown some signs. For all of those moves, there's still far too many that we're sitting here going, well, wait a minute here. Why, Why, for example, why is second base? You know, just that, that's really the, the question. It's not even, you can't even name names anymore. Just why is second base on the White Sox? Yeah, yeah well, that's the thing. And, and this, this is what brings me to what I'm talking about. I just did a simple poll during the game uh, the other night, and I, I put it out uh, through our Twitter account for the show, and I, I put Larry Garcia, Josh Harrison, and Jake Berger and their OPSs 
And I said, which one would you rather have in the lineup? And it's an interesting question because one is clearly the best defensive player. That's Harrison. By a mile, yeah. One is the best hitter right now or the one that I think could provide the most pop. And I think that's Jake Berger. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then you have a guy that's not really the best at anything in Garcia who's playing all the time. So do you want the the middling, not really good at, at, not really the best at either one of those things out there? Do you want the best defender out there? Do you want the best hitter and sacrifice some defense and some range? And it was amazing to me that, you know, I mean, it's just a Twitter poll, but over 95% of White Sox fans who responded to it, uh, they came out saying they would rather have the bat in Jake Berger at this point, which makes sense because of how bad the offense is. And then in second place was Josh Harrison. And then like 1% of the vote was like Larry. And I, the team doesn't view it that way. It's interesting how the fan base views the team so much differently than the management does. And another point is when you look at uh, the imminent return of Lance Lynn, I think he said he's got about three starts he expects to have to make before he'll be ramped up and be able to come back and join the White Sox. And Tony La Russa saying this week, there is not going to be a six-man rotation. Now, they already moved Velasquez to the bullpen. Everybody assumed when that was said, instantly all the comments were, bye-bye Dallas Keuchel, we're clearly getting rid of you, we don't have any room for you, but that lack of confidence I have in the brain trust makes me think to myself, even though the rest of us look at this and we know who the guy is who should be the odd man out, it shouldn't be Johnny Cueto and it shouldn't be Michael Kopech and it shouldn't be Lucas Giolito and you definitely want Lance Lynn back, so who's the odd man out? It's Dallas Keuchel. My first instinct is, nope, they're going to do something that disappoints me. They're going to tell me we're trying to conserve Kopech's innings. We're moving him to the bullpen for the next three months. Like something crazy like that is going to happen. I've lost confidence in them to make the obvious best decision for the team that I love. And that is, that's what frightens me is, is that Michael Kopech, who right now statistically is your best starter. Okay. 42 innings pitched. He is the league leader still, I believe in ERA, right? Among starters. And if not, he's right up there at the top. You know, he's got a 1.29 ERA. He's having like a Cy Young start to the season. And I understand you're going to, you're going to monitor his innings, the fall off, you know, from there, Giolito's having a very good year. You know, 2.63 ERA, uh, his whip is 1.274, but still, 0.857. Michael Kopech is having a ridiculous year as a starter. This is exactly what you traded for, right? And you're right. For them to go and say he's going to go back to his role from last year as a member of the bullpen, as, as a multi-inning reliever and a high-leverage guy because we're going to monitor his innings, First of all, I don't think that takes any more strain off of his arm because you're going to tell me that you're only going to, you're going to what? You're going to give him three, four days off in between appearances out of the bullpen? I would much rather them, you know, just keep him going five innings and don't worry about him getting into six or just throw him on a pitch count where if he's super efficient like he was in his last start, he can go seven innings. But yeah, that scares me. It scares me the idea that they're going to do something boneheaded like move Kopech to the bullpen or they're going to start playing games with the injured list and all of a sudden you're going to see Dylan Cease take a couple of weeks off and then you're going to see Giolito take a couple of weeks off and then Keiko's going to take a couple of weeks off and then Kopech's going to take a couple and it's going to be you know minor stuff and it's probably going to be very questionable but they're going to do something goofy like that what we're going to end up with is we are going to still end up with Dallas Keuchel approaching that 160 inning mark we're going to end up with him giving away starts here and there because his 
he's just having an awful year. And and it's at this point, it's it's not even something where it's like, let's worry about his contract or something. Let's just worry about the fact that you're a team that's contending and you're throwing a guy out there who's got a 6.60 ERA and a whip of two. Think about what this team has done. I I, I was I was looking at this the other day going over the schedule. If you're a White Sox fan, you know we've punted games. We've punted games in double headers. We've punted the third game of a series. We basically have just sent out just just not good lineups. And we've given away games. And, and look, if if we punted, let's say, if I think they punted eight games and they probably only punted four, if they split those two games instead of losing all four of them by actually putting in an effort, you're two games better than what you are now and you're much closer to the Twins and you're not as nervous about it. It's those little things that add up throughout a season, which is why you're trailing by so much so early on. Yeah, you're going to have hard times. You're going to have injuries and things like that. It's the giving away of games. And we've talked about this already too, the the rest. This team feels like as an organization, they're gun shy over somebody being overused and getting worn out or getting injured. So they started with a philosophy this year. And we talk with Scott Merkin about this, about how Tony and Rick are in lockstep and that this is something closer. He didn't come right out and say team philosophy, but that's what it sounds like to me. This whole idea of this nonstop rest, this guy, rest, this guy, rest, this guy. Well, here's the problem I have with that. You have Luis Robert goes on the COVID list for a week. Now he got his rest. See, I mean, like when you're sitting him down, you don't know what's coming up the next week. When you're resting a guy in in April and May and June and you're giving up games and then all of a sudden the inevitable injury happens or something else happens down the line, what were you resting him for? He's still out for a month. It's like they're so busy, worried about the future, they're not taking care of the things that are at hand right now. It's like saving for your retirement and putting so much money into your 401k, you can't pay the car note every month. Like that's, that's how it feels to me. There's look, we're in the age of COVID Ed. We're in an age where a guy can walk in one day, not even feel anything, have a random test and he's out for a week. Right. And you're worried about rest, but you don't know what players you're going to have on your team from week to week. So play them when they're healthy, play them when they're hot and go win some ball games because we're getting now to that weekend where traditionally you look at the standings and that's what your team is. In fact, that weekend is upon us now, okay? That's always the old adage. You talk to an old baseball fan, they'll tell you, I don't even look at the standings until Memorial Day weekend. We're here now. We're in second place. When you're heading down to the ballpark, make sure you go to Cork and Carry. It is your place for pregame, postgame, viewing parties, uh, whenever you're going to see your White Sox, Cork and Carry at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. An award-winning menu of burgers, ballpark favorites, an extensive rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wine. And when you dine in on Mondays when the White Sox are on the road or not playing, uh, two-for-one burgers whenever you get in there. Uh, and then when you get there, starting this weekend, Ed, we now have a ginormous 10-foot banner running down the front of Cork and Carry. At least I believe it's up by the time that you've listened to this episode or will be up within hours after it is released because uh, the whole thing was made according to what I've got on my phone. It's it's arriving soon, and it, it declares, as we've known for a while, that Cork and Carry is the home of the podcast for fans, by fans, socks in the basement. How long do you think that banner lasts for? Because we get so many things ripped down, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if people love the banners. 
I don't know if it's people that are uh, that don't like our podcast or they're like, I don't know, are there, are there competitive podcasts? Are there people out there that, that like think this is some sort of a battle between White Sox podcast to radio stations not like podcast? I, I can't figure it out. But from time to time, the banners mysteriously disappear. This one's pretty big, though. It'd be kind of hard to get away with it, don't you think? Yeah, well, my, my prevailing theory on the Big Ten foot banner is, is that if somebody rips that down, it's because they want to get naked and roll around with it so, it, <laughs> so they feel closer to us. Maybe we should have put our faces on it so it would have been weirder. Maybe that's what uh, Yeah, or, or made it out of, like, you know, something velvety <laughs> instead of... Uh, Listen, Cork and Carry at the park, 33rd and Princeton, uh, it's, it's totally worth getting there before the game. Bring the whole family there. Get there afterwards and party after a win, all right? Uh, if, if they lose, which lately is 50-50 chance, uh, you get to drown your sorrows a little bit. You don't have to fight the traffic. It is the perfect place to go, Cork and Carry at the park. Ray Liotta uh, is dead as a doornail. And and I wouldn't talk about this. <laughs> Put well, a fine point on it there, Chris. Pretty much anybody who's dead is dead as a doornail. But he's he's, he's dead. And uh, Ray, I enjoyed his movies. But uh, we're oh, yeah. going to talk about him for a second here because you you were like, well, we got to talk about Ray Liotta. Well, he was Shoeless Joe Jackson. He was one of two guys to play him in a major movie, right? Him and D.B. Sweeney, who played him in Eight Men Out. But it, it's funny because if you are knowledgeable about Shoeless Joe Jackson – you wouldn't recognize Ray Liotta was necessarily playing him unless, except for the fact that they, they identify him as Shoeless Joe because in the movie, Ray Liotta, by his own admission, could not swing a bat left-handed. He looked terrible doing it, so he just hit right-handed. He's like, man, deal with it. And then he's a lefty. He threw, threw with his left hand, even though in real life, Shoeless Joe was a left-handed batter through righty. And then Shoeless Joe was also extremely Southern with his like his accent <laughs> and how he spoke and Ray Liotta played him like he was in Goodfellas. Yeah, it was. It was, it was like right out of one of his Ray Liotta movies. I think like, about the Ty Cobb line that he says, it's like, yeah, Cobb wanted to play, but we didn't like him in real life. So he stuck into the son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, and he says it almost like he's laughing with, you know, with Tommy and Jimmy in Goodfellas. Right. And in reality, in reality, actually Ty Cobb and Shoeless Joe were really good friends as it turns out too. So it was just, it, it always struck me as kind of funny that like, here's this like, revered White Sox player. He's finally making it on screen and he gets played by Ray Liotta. Who's just like, I'm just going to be Ray Liotta and you're going to call me shoeless Joe Jackson. I, I still love him in the part, which is the funny part about, about the whole thing is I still love that movie and I love him in the part. And it's a huge part of the field of dreams game last year too, but it was, it just kind of, as it came up, I was, I was sort of reviewing Ray Liotta movies and I was reminded of that. And I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot. He, he played shoeless Joe as like, somebody else completely. I don't want to say he was the worst shoeless Joe, but out of the two movies, eight men out and field of dreams, he was the second best shoeless Joe. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> DB Sweetie at least went and taught himself how to hit left-handed. Right. He, he put an effort into the role. He actually went and played with an a ball. This is true. DB Sweeney in order to become shoeless Joe, cause he was not left-handed either went and played with a, a minor league team an a ball level team to learn, like to get some reps with, a, with the coaching staff to learn how to hit left-handed. Right. believably for the movie. Meanwhile, Ray Liotta was like, can we work in a scene where we make some meatballs, you know, and yeah. just kind of, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's got, you know, he's got the guy playing uh buck weaver over there, you know, stirring the sauce. So it doesn't get too thick. And <laughs> then he's got to run over to Janice's and he's got to get back. <laughs> yeah. He's got, he's got to get back. And, you know. All right. I, I got into a, uh, a back and forth on Twitter. I, I always get mad at myself for doing this because Twitter isn't real. 
and I I do this every <laughs> it's, once in a while. It's truly not. It is <laughs> it is a land of make believe. Right, and I and I feel like anytime I get into these discussions, there's no way it ends without the listener that engaged me hating my guts because. Well. Because you can't hear personal, right? Right. You can't hear the, the, the inflection in my voice. You, you don't understand how I'm trying to explain this. I'm sure you just read it. You go, he doesn't agree with me. He thinks I'm an idiot. Well, I think he's an idiot. That's the problem with, with those kind of social media conversations. It never goes well. And I ended this one with a, all right, we're going to disagree on this though. I, I don't agree with you. But everybody's entitled to their opinion. All right. And I, I needed to end it because I was going back and forth and I was like, this, I, I can't do this anymore. I just don't agree with this person. And here's what they were telling me. I was I had written something about Yasmani Grandal and Reese McGuire and the fact that McGuire catches more games than Grandal. I, I put in the comment of something, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, and immediately I was told, well, he should be the starting catcher. Reese McGuire should be the starting catcher. This is the point that was given to me. And it's because of his defense. And he is not only the starting catcher this year and should be the starting catcher, but he's the future of the White Sox at the catcher position because Yasmani Grandal is old and done. That's that's what wow. I was told. Now, uh, thinking of Reese McGuire as the future of the White Sox makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit because it. <laughs> it I'm sorry, it does. It, it, and that's kind of the point that I made. Like if, if Reese McGuire is the future at catcher for the White Sox, that's a scary proposition. I don't know if we're competing for championships, especially because he's just a throwaway deal at the end of spring training to get rid of the catcher you don't like anymore in Zach Collins to pick up a catcher the Blue Jays don't like anymore in Reese McGuire. And now you're considering him to be the future of your team. He's a guy who he's never hit. He's, he's atrocious at the plate. He's not good at the plate this year, even though he's had a couple of big hits. But, I mean, that, that's what happens in Major League Baseball. You're not a Major League Baseball player if you can't get a hit ever, right? But when you look at the overall body of work, he's not a hitter. He's a defensive catcher. And I just don't know if you can win championships with a defensive catcher. Now, the, the point that was made back to me, and I want you to jump in on this, Ed, was what he does behind the plate. And this is a stat that was thrown out at me that Reese McGuire ranks among catchers as the second lowest, when he's behind the plate, his pitchers have the second lowest ERA in baseball through 800 plate appearances at a 277 ERA. Second lowest uh, opponent batting average and first with the lowest slugging of opponents when he sits down and he catches behind the plate. And meanwhile, in contrast, uh, Yasmani Grandal is the third worst ERA for his pitchers, the third worst opponent batting average, and the fourth worst opponent sluggings in all of baseball. So that that was it, he he grabbed the screenshot of somebody putting those stats out, threw it into the comments, and said, "Here, I'm, here's my point. I'm right. Is he right, Ed? Everything I've thought about baseball, am I wrong? Should we just no. have a guy that hits like 210 and and have him like play great defense, and that's better than having a catcher that can hit? No, I I, I don't know that that it it is. I, I think there's a lot of teams that view the catcher position still as one where they're willing to sacrifice offense for defense or game calling. It's really more it's more about the game calling and pitch framing and things like that. So, uh, you know, statistically, yes, he's right. Yes, you know the the ERA with him behind the plate is is a lot worse than with Reese McGuire. They've caught about the same number of innings at this point really they're kind of evened up. They're both at 192 innings as I'm sitting here looking at their stats. Their fielding percentage, both at 995. 
their stolen base, you know, 21%. Reese McGuire's throwing out a few more runners than, than Yaz, uh, 21% to 15%. They've got some stuff there. They each have an error. Um, there's only a few pass balls between the two of them, but here's the thing. They've got Reese at the defensive run save per year, okay? They've got him at 19. They've got Yaz at negative six, which means that Reese McGuire is statistically a little bit better behind the plate, but that's okay. Now, the, the real problem with Reese McGuire is, like you said, his offense. In the majors, he's a career 241 hitter with a 654 OPS. And in the minors, he was a 261 hitter with a 672 OPS, which means that he kind of is what he is, which is a bit of a light hitter. He's a little bit of a slap hitter, basically, and he's not fast. So, and he doesn't hit for a high average, and he doesn't take walks. He doesn't have a high walk rate or anything like that. He actually strikes out quite a bit. So offensively, he's a giant black hole waiting to happen. And this year, hitting 203 with a 482 OPS, it's it's even worse, right? So can you win with him playing every single day? No, because he's just his career war isn't good. It's 1.3. He's not he's not a, a starting catcher. He's not a starting caliber catcher. He's just very good. He's the kind of guy that you want on a championship team as a as a backup because in later innings when you can't afford a pass ball from somebody like Liam Hendricks overthrowing a slider, which he has been doing quite a bit lately, you want the ability to bring in Reese McGuire potentially and say move Yaz over to first or or something like that. You What you don't want to do is you don't want to hit your wagon to a guy like that full time. I mean, the Sox need to find a catcher to replace Yasmani Grandal. His contract is going to be up. He's 33 years old. Does that mean that Reese McGuire might be the starting catcher in a transition period there, it's possible. But Reese McGuire is also 27 years old. He's not exactly going to be around forever either. They didn't trade for a 23-year-old future superstar. If they were going to do that, they would have traded for Alejandro Kirk or Gabriel Moreno when they made the trade with Toronto. And those are the guys, because they are more well-rounded catchers. Even Danny Jensen would have been you know, a, a better pick if you were looking for the future of the position. So I, I disagree with the future of the position, but I will agree that based on both the eye test and statistically that, yeah, yeah, Reese McGuire is better back there than Yaz is right now. Really? So not the future of the team, but you will take the side of Reese McGuire is the better option at catcher every day. Oh, I, I didn't say he's the better option at catcher. I said he's he's playing better behind the plate. That part I would 100% agree with. I think oh, everything well, who backs would you that start? up. If you, were, if you were running the team right now, who would you rather see behind the plate more? I'd rather have Yaz behind the plate more because you, you – you need his bat in the line. And I understand he's not hitting either. He's one of the guys who's not hitting, but Grandal brings more to the, the field overall than Reese McGuire ever will. It, it, it's possible that Yasmani Grandal gets out of the funk, gets hot, starts hitting for power again, starts drawing walks and is an offensive force. Okay. The way he was the past couple of years for the Sox, the way he was with the Brewers before the, he was with the Sox, the way he was when he was with the Dodgers that is a much better prospect for this team going forward and into the playoffs than simply saying we are going to commit to a guy who is very good defensively behind the plate, but we know he's basically an automatic out. Partially because you have that at second base. Partially because when you have injuries, to say Tim Anderson, if he were to get injured or be out for any period of time, heaven forbid, you may have that at shortstop, partially because you've got guys struggling all over the place and you don't know what you're going to get when Aloy Jimenez comes back, if he's going to get hot right away. You don't know what you're getting out of the DH position if you're going to continue to platoon Vaughn and Sheets. 
and frankly, you don't even know what you're getting out of first base right now with Jose Abreu. If he's ever going to return back to what he was, or if this is, you know, if this is a slow climb to sort of replacement level as, as he gets older, you know, as he's showing his age. So I don't think you can sacrifice offense on this team right now to go pure defense. And I also would defy you to show me a team that has won the World Series where their catcher could not contribute offensively. If you're looking for something to do over the long holiday weekend, why not go out to Lamont? Check that place out. It is a great spot for a day trip if you want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, green spaces filled with adventure. Visit Lamont to shop, dine, drink, explore. The small town feel with plenty of parking and all kinds of things to do. Look at what they have on tap this weekend or any weekend in the future this summer. Visit LamontDowntown.com. Meanwhile, I've got something that's driving me nuts. It's back, Ed. The Jason Benetti broadcasting tick, and I love Jason, but the broadcasting tick that he has where he gives you the standings every day in a very long season has begun. I heard it the other night. And the White Sox uh, in the middle of this game are uh, one game out of the sixth wild card spot. I don't care. I don't care where they're at right now. Win baseball games, win series, climb up, climb up there. And when we get close, you can start talking about where we are in the playoff picture. It's May. Look, the standings thing will drive me nuts. It's only fun to say it over and over again if you're in first. If you're chasing and you should be in first place, it's it it will drive us absolutely mad as fans. Yeah, but when you're when you expected to win the division and they're talking about the sixth wild card, it's infuriating. That's what I mean. It's gonna it's gonna just drive you nuts if you're if, if you have to sit there and listen to that. So I, I would love to see this not be the case where we're talking about the standings and we're worried about the wild card and we're worried about just trying to eke our way into the playoffs. But it gets back to the original point. Do you trust the brain trust to put the Sox in the best position to win here? I would be flabbergasted if it was anything other than Dallas Keuchel's 6.6 ERA and two whip and walking more guys than he's striking out per nine innings is anything but gone when Lance Lynn comes back. But I could also sit there and see some other weird little thing that they're going to do, some some way that they're going to try and spin this, and it's going to cost them some games ultimately because we are going to continue to see things that just don't make sense to us as fans. And what it, what makes it even more infuriating, Chris, is you know what the message to fans is going to be. Y'all just don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, none of us know what we're talking about. They're the only people that see it that way. Before we get out of here, I do want to I want to give you my theory as to why Joe Kelly is injured and now on the uh, disabled list. Uh, Tanner Banks is back. Uh, if you watch that moment where he hurt his hamstring and he is on the IL, I... I yeah. I, I kind of, at first, when he threw the pitch, I laughed out loud because he did the Johnny Cueto. He stood on the mound and he did the shimmy and threw off the timing of the batter, delivered the pitch for strike three, and then hurt his hamstring and it had to be taken out of the game. And I wonder, and I'm just theorizing here, I wonder if this is a conversation that's going on in the bullpen about Cueto and he goes, watch me try it. And then he hurt himself doing it. Stuff happens, okay? I mean, some people get upset about me saying that. Stuff happens. It's baseball. It's a game. But I almost picture the bullpen talking about it. And Joe Kelly, with the personality I think we've kind of seen put on display since he's gotten here and over his career, was like, I'll go do it. 
Watch me go shimmy this guy. And they they all watched him do it, and somehow he hurt himself trying to do it. Yeah, that seems about right, doesn't it? That, that <laughs> I mean, he, he just went there and he's like, uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put put in the shimmy and yeah. and I'll do it. The other theory I had was is that he's he's such a smooth character that when he went to lift up his left leg, when he went to kick up, and the hamstring pulled, that he went, I'm gonna I'm gonna quato this thing because I can't lift my leg up because it I just felt it tug. So I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to make it look like I was trying to trying to pull the Johnny Cueto shimmy out. But really, in reality, he went to lift his leg up and it went, ah, no, you don't. And then he just played it off. I, I That was my other theory is that the hamstring caused the shimmy as opposed to the shimmy causing the hamstring. Inadvertent shimmy is what your theory is. Interesting. I'm thinking it's it's inadvertent shimmy. So unlike <laughs> unlike when, when say, Kopech <laughs> yanked his hammy last year right. where he was just going full force, this is Joe Kelly sitting there having that. Having that that older guy, uh, you know, self-awareness that we all get when we get into our 30s and 40s, where you go to do something and you're like, my body is not going to let me do that. But then you, you sort of magically find a way to make it look like you meant to do it anyway. All right. All right. Inadvertent shimmy for you. Me, I just think he should have been running in the uh, upper deck stairs like Cueto and he would have been prepared for the shimmy. You just can't break the shimmy out, right? You can't just say, I'm going to try the shimmy. Bad things happen. Shimmy takes a lot of practice. Okay, Shimmy takes a lot of practice. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.